It's Essential Pittsburgh. I'm Paul Guggenheimer. Questions have been raised about school performance records and even allegations of plagiarism regarding Anthony Hamlet, the Florida educator selected to be the next superintendent of the Pittsburgh Public Schools. The Pittsburgh School Board has asked for more information from Mr. Hamlet. While some community leaders are calling for a new superintendent search, we want to look at a bigger issue. What practices should be in place when organizations are conducting an executive search? To guide us through this process, we've invited Michelle Pagano-Heck, principal with Nonprofit Talent, a Pittsburgh company that conducts executive searches for nonprofits, to join us. Michelle Pagano-Heck, welcome to Essential Pittsburgh. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here today. In this day and age, with so much public scrutiny and access to information, how do errors in resumes and misinformation go undetected? Well, I think it's looking at sort of the larger picture of hiring and what the hiring process looks like for a nonprofit organization. Now, and keeping in mind that when you've met one nonprofit, you've met one nonprofit. Everybody is incredibly different and unique. But the hiring process sometimes is done by an individual. It might be an executive director. It might be an HR person. And sometimes it's done by a volunteer board, committee. And in some cases, they're doing it by themselves as an organization, proceeding with hire. And there's just sometimes a lack of knowledge about what to do in terms of trying to check somebody's background, how to do that. What do you do to go further into a candidate's background other than just reference checks? How do you dig deeper to get that information? So I think that's how some things go unchecked. But in my experience, the access to information in today's technology allows for organizations to look much deeper into a candidate than previous times when you had to make a lot of phone calls and you had to sort of do a lot of just trust Now you can verify, and I think that that's a very important step. It sort of comes at the last point in a search, which is to really verify all of the information provided by the candidate. Now, in this case, the school board hired a company to do the search, as I understand it. So when that happens, are you giving over some of that control to that organization because that's what you're paying them to do? That's right. So while I can't speak to the school district's choice of search firm or individual that they used, there are sort of best practices that are set up by an industry. We're a professional service industry of executive search consultants. And when an organization makes the investment to hire a search firm, The search firm is really partnering with the organizations. They're leading it, but they're partnering also. No search firm does the hire. It is up to the organization to do the hire. So the search firm is really organizing and monitoring and putting into place a solid process from beginning to end. From the very beginning, which is to define what the position looks like, What are the competencies? What are the skills? What are the experiences that you're going to be searching for? So helping the organization to define what their future leadership looks like. Then to moving towards the recruitment. And that is really sort of the beating heart of what a lot of the process is, which is that a professional search firm has access to potential candidates that the organization itself may not have access to. So developing a really robust candidate pool for which the search committee then conducts the interviews with the guidance of a search firm. 
and moves through that process. And then comes the due diligence. And a search firm, when retained, a search firm is responsible for the due diligence portion. And due diligence includes reference checking. It includes a public search. So anything that you can Google and anything that you can find on the candidate. It includes using often a third-party vendor to check education, verification, credit, criminal background checks. And before that, and this is a really key step, is that we ask candidates to sign a release to allow us to check all of those things. And at the signing, that's when we will say to them, okay, we're going to check everything that's on your resume. Is there anything in here that you would like the opportunity to change or to amend before Mm. we go and we check on this? And also at that point, if there are statistics given in a resume, so for example, lots of people now will say not just that they improved sales for their organization, but they'll give a statistic. They'll say, increased sales by 47% over an 18-month period. And they're being told to do that because organizations like to see quantifiable evidence of improvement. So if they're going to put that in there, then the first question we ask is of the candidate. It's himself or herself. I see that you increased 47% here. Can you tell me more about that? Is there somebody that could verify that for us? And that's when we'll check in a reference to say, this person reported quite an impressive growth in sales. Is there, is there some way that we can verify that? Not everything is verifiable, but we will ask the questions. That would seem to be, if you're talking about a performance statistic like that, obviously your previous employer or a previous employer would know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah sure. And, and if they don't, again, the first question always should come to the candidate themselves. We find time and time again when a candidate is asked directly about information, either in their cover letter or in their resume, that they'll be truthful. So with fact-checking so readily available, why do people inflate their credentials? Well, I would actually say that so many people don't inflate their credentials. I actually think that the overwhelming majority of candidates are aware of the access to public information and are aware of our ability to verify, you, and, and they you, don't. You would, and you would think that they would know, but right. there are still people that do it, and my question would yeah. be, why do they do it? Well, first of all, I don't mean to sound Pollyanna about this, but I do not think that if it is done, that it's done maliciously or with intent to impress. I actually think that sometimes people are wrong in their own sort of revisionist history of thinking that they did something bigger and bolder and brighter in their past than they actually did. But in the rare case that somebody sort of makes the conscious decision, I think sometimes it's done out of desire for the job. They really, really want the job and believe that if they just look a little bit stronger, a little bit more successful, then that will give them an edge up, and they're hedging their bets, right? They're and saying, as long as nobody checks. As, as, and if nobody checks, I'm okay with this. So I think that it is done out of real desire for getting the job. And that's why in our practice, when we're talking with a candidate and having them sign a release, we're giving them every opportunity at that point to say, listen, you are a candidate. They are seriously considering you. If there is an error or anything in here, that's forgivable. We will help you to make that. 
what won't be forgivable is, is being caught in a lie. Right, being caught in a lie later in the process. It will be the lie that will deter their interest in you. It won't be the necessarily small differentiation in fact. And our experience is when you present it to candidates like that, we see the best outcomes. Clearly, you post a job, people are going to apply. But how many people do you have to talk to before you know you've hit on that one that is a good fit? Well, I think there's a couple layers to that. In this region, we have a really healthy and robust nonprofit sector, more so than in other metropolitan areas. And we also have a really healthy and robust philanthropic sector here. So that I think in the Pittsburgh region, we have been very fortunate to identify the value of nonprofits here and as a result, cultivate leadership and bring leadership up through organizations. That said, there are a number of high-profile positions, I think, that will be nearing retirement, and there's going to be a big need to fill those roles. So I think that the people are here. I think that we've got the talent. I think that we're really blessed in that. I think that it is a challenge for nonprofit boards of directors to do a full search all on their own. There's a statistic that says that running an executive search takes between 240 and 270 hours. And most boards, when they have come on to serve an organization, aren't thinking that they're going to have to commit that kind of time to such a thorough process. So that I think it can be easier for an organization, if they have the financial means to hire an executive search firm, it can bring out leadership that they may not have been able to find on their own. The ability that an executive search firm has is to look under rocks and to talk to people and to really sort of vet who the best candidates are, that on occasion an executive director, a current executive director, or a board simply doesn't have the resources to be able to do that. Search committees will often ask us how many they think that it's number. Sure. It's quantity, right? Like I need to see at least 10 candidates to find the one. But it's we, not? It's not. You only need one. If you only have one applicant, but it's the right Wait, applicant, one? you only need one. Because ultimately the best hires have to do with the fit for the organization and not necessarily mm. their experience or their skill set. It's Essential Pittsburgh. I'm Paul Guggenheimer. We're discussing the practices that should be in place when organizations are conducting an executive search with Michelle Pagano-Heck, principal with Nonprofit Talent, a Pittsburgh company that conducts executive searches for nonprofits. So walk me through the process, if you will. Uh, what steps do you take when you're engaged in conducting an executive search. Our firm, Nonprofit Talent, and most firms that service the nonprofit sector are retained searches. And the difference between that is that there are retained searches and there are contingency searches. Many people are familiar with a contingency model, which is that search firm just goes out and tries to fill the role and they don't get paid until the role is filled. We are retained, which means that we put an organization under contract and work with them in terms of organizational development model. So we get into an organization and we do a really deep dive into who are you? What's your mission? What is it that you are seeking for your future in terms of your leadership? And we spend a lot of time with the stakeholders of the organization. That could be clients, constituents, board members, staff members. 
out of that, we are able to draft a really robust performance profile. Using that, with the guidance of the search committee, there's a fine balance that you have to also respect the confidentiality of the process and not exposing candidates to potential harm from their current employer if they find out they're looking for a job. So we don't investigate them until they're a real viable candidate. And how carefully do you vet candidates? Very carefully. The first thing that we do is that, and again, I think there's a lot of success with just simply asking the candidate to clarify things in their cover letter and in their resume. That's after they've signed this release. Then we do an even deeper public search. Then we do a third-party vendor background check. We can verify somebody's educational reporting within minutes. We can get somebody's credit report within minutes that says, like, here's what the issue is and whatever. Why is the credit report? That's not always done for candidates. But what we have found is that our search committees and our boards are interested in somebody's credit background if they are going to be in a position where they're dealing with finances for the organization. Okay, that makes sense. Right. They draw that sort of corollary between managing your own personal finances and managing that of the organization. There's some debate as to whether that's really valid. But the other thing that that can do, and I think this this is lesser known, is if, if the salary for a position, let's say a salary for a position is $80,000, and when we do a credit background check, we find that they are in debt $800,000. We will ask the candidate about that. How are you going to reconcile that? Okay, Because an organization may be interested in knowing that. So that cue comes from the would-be employer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And while no two executive searches are the same, certainly, is there a standard length of time to be expected when searching for someone to lead a nonprofit, for example? Well, when we get an inquiry from an organization, what they will almost always say is, we needed this person to start yesterday, right? So it oftentimes is in crisis. Our executive Mm. director left and we need somebody right away. What we know from our own practice, but also that as a standard in nonprofit executive searches, is searches can take between four months and six months. Again, it's getting back to that 270-hour kind of theory. But also— Is that longer than it used to be? It it is longer than it used to be, and it's longer than it used to be for a couple reasons. Number one, sometimes the most attractive candidates are not necessarily looking at the job. We have to go after them and we have to talk to them. They need time to really settle in on what this opportunity is. And I'm happy in my current job. Why would I leave this? Yeah. How do you do that? Because you probably have to be careful about approaching somebody because there may be you don't you, you don't want to give the appearance. You want to protect this person. Presumably right. Right. you have their best interests at heart. You don't want their employer to think, wait a minute, who, who's he who or she talking right. to? So how do you do that? Well, it's most often done is that if we identify somebody who has a skill set experience in line with the position, the first thing that we do is we're just asking them, do you have referrals? Are you calling them? We're calling them. You're calling them. Call them. And we, ask, we find that it's a phone call people love to get. Like, it means that you've got a good reputation in your industry. You were referred to us from somebody else. We're not trying to sell a widget. We're essentially saying, you know, you've surfaced as somebody that has a really great skill set. We have this opportunity. Do you have other people in your network that you might like to share this with? Do you reveal who the person, who the searcher is? Who, the, it, it, who the organization? It, right. Yes, we don't do confidential. Okay. It's searches. not like you know, 
so and so likes you know yeah. high school romance. Right. So and so likes you. Do you want to know who it is? Yeah, only if you're interested. Are we going to tell you <laughs> right. who that is? Exactly. No, that's another point actually that to weave throughout this whole conversation. I think, which is that we are incredibly transparent. We're transparent with our our client at the very beginning. We're transparent with candidates to the degree that it protects their confidentiality. We really operate under a a model that being really honest, being really forthright, and being really transparent with information as appropriate throughout the process is going to lead to really successful outcomes. And so when we're calling somebody, I'm really transparent. This organization is hiring a new CEO, and we see that you're in line with that. Can I just send it to you? Just take a look, then feel free to pass it on. So that during the recruitment stage, and then the vetting happens after that point. And are the search guidelines similar for nonprofits and for-profits alike? You know, I think, you know, there are sort of best practices that I think that are, are utilized universally throughout any kind of sector. And, and certainly the way we recruit, the way in which we deal with candidates There should be some real similarities among that. But I do think there are differences that range firm by firm. It's why it's really important if an organization is considering an executive search to sort of do a little bit of comparison and see what kinds of offerings and services each firm serves. For for for-profit searches, you will find contingency searches a little bit more often, which means that sort of that front-end work may not happen because what they're really interested in is getting somebody into the position so that they get paid. But for some companies, that's really beneficial because that means that they may have five or six different firms working on their behalf and they only have to pay the one that is the winner with placing Mm. somebody. So I think that it, it varies firm by firm and certainly by retained or by contingency. And what is your best advice for an organization when it comes to searching for someone to place in the top spot? One of the really big elements is do not be in a rush to hire. As much as you feel like your organization may fumble or if you're afraid of crisis during the time that you're without a leader, I think that there are stopgap measures, whether it's a board member sort of stepping up or interim leadership or somebody internally. Do not be in a rush to hire. It's just like anything in life, right? When you're hurried and you're rushed, you're far more susceptible to making mistakes. So I think it's important to do a a really good evaluation of, as the organization, do you want to run the search yourself? Do you have the capacity to do that? Many organizations, it's perfectly fine for them to do a search by themselves. The position level or the salary doesn't warrant hiring an executive search firm. If it is the top seat and they are they have the financial ability to outsource this work to executive search firm, then again, be careful and be be very thoughtful in how you select your firm and do a lot of due diligence on the firm and their background and their references. And then allowing the firm to do their work in a way that isn't a gun to the head saying, hurry up, we've got to fill this position. Quality can suffer, both in terms of the process as well as the hire, if it's done really quickly. So uh, that's my biggest piece of advice is don't be in a rush to hire. Executive search and hiring in general is way much more of an art form than it is a science. And it's a human business, which means 
that the best of intentions are put forth by candidates, by search committees, by search firms. Everybody goes into a process wanting to do their very best and wanting to have the very best outcome. But it is, again, a human business, which means that it can fail and there can be problems and there could be a bad fit hired for a position so that all of the process and all of the good thinking and all of the best laid plans in most cases will be a wonderful outcome and and a true success in leadership for a nonprofit. But I also think that people have to be forgiving of themselves if somewhere along the line something doesn't quite work because, again, this is art and not science. Michelle Pagano-Heck, principal with Nonprofit Talent, a Pittsburgh company that conducts executive searches for nonprofits, has been our guest. Michelle Pagano-Heck, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. We'll have more Essential Pittsburgh coming up. This is 90.5 WESA.